Thanks for tuning in to today's Melbourne Business School podcast. I'm Jan Marshall and with me today is Neil Middleton. Neil is a senior consultant who facilitates on a number of our executive education programs here at the school, specialising in navigating senior leaders and managers through complex systems of change. Today, Neil will be taking us on a journey to the island of change, from the unknown to the comfortable, and charting the difficult path to organisational success. Neil, much of what we read and hear about today is related in some way to change, be it disruptive, be it political. There's some aspect of change change is being discussed quite regularly. Can you tell us a bit about your experience of change uh, in an organisational context where we're often deliberately uh, setting off a change plan or some aspect of change we want to make happen? Yeah, I think... For the most part, my experience has been similar to that of many others, which is it's a struggle. Um, Being left somewhat disappointed by it. So many years ago when I was in an organizational role, I was in in a large international organization that was instigating a very broad change. And it was costing millions. It, It was costing a lot of time, a lot of effort and a lot of money. And it didn't work. And um, I was wondering why. It was, uh, it was disappointing. It was disappointing for me. It was disappointing for many other people. And it got me thinking about why didn't the change work? And I saw it happen not just once, but several times in different organizations. And so I was, I was curious about, is there another way? Is there a different way of viewing change? Is there a different way of understanding what's happening in change processes that could help us to be more successful? So what did you do? What did you start to think about in relation to this idea of why things are not working? I was also at the same time interested in complex adaptive systems. And I started to research it and started to do a lot of reading, uh, talking to people about their experience of complex adaptive systems. And then um, that led me to doing further qualifications. And as a thesis, I, I started to examine change in complex systems. And I started to see patterns emerging from all the different writers, all the different practitioners. I could see patterns starting to emerge, even in some of the very old change models. But what was emerging was different to what I'd seen being applied in organizations. And I think of it that in the organizations I'd been working in, there'd been a fairly simplistic view being applied. It was a linear way of looking at it. It was almost like a project plan. We'll start at A we'll do B, C, D, E, and everything will work out, and we'll manage the resistance on the way. But it it, it wasn't working, it was causing frustration. So what was happening? And so I started to look at it from a complex point of view. There's no linearity in complexity. uh, There is a disconnect. Things can happen that you don't expect. So how can we learn about a system that has no linearity? How can we work in a system like that and bring about change in it. So what did you do to start to think about this non-linear world of change? I observed the patterns that were in the literature about complex systems. And what I noticed were this kind of four stages that systems go through. And it's like a, a life-death cycle, almost. Uh, that There can be periods of great success and then periods where that falls away. During periods of great success, you can be generating a lot of energy, but you're also consuming a lot of energy to keep your system going. And if, you've not, if you're not tuned into your local system, if you're not tuned into your environment, 
So the economy, uh, customer demands, uh, consumer appetites, uh, demographics, and so on, you become irrelevant. So you start to put more and more energy into what you know how to do, but you're not adapting. So there's an adaptive piece, which is about letting go. So there's an unlearning that goes on. And there's another dimension to this, which is, so there's a success-failure dimension, but the other dimension is a known and unknown. So when we're being successful, we often codify what we do, best practice. Um, we codify it, we write it down, we create procedures, we create protocols of how to do something, how to repeat it. Repetition is a key part of linearity, that we can repeat it, we can make it predictable, we can make it known. So it gives us a level of certainty in there. On the other side of that, of course, is the unknown. And there's a reluctance for many organizations to step into the unknown because there's a lot of uncertainty there. And so markets don't like uncertainty. Shareholders don't like uncertainty. So there are some conditions pressing on it to say, stay in what we know. So I started to examine these different dimensions and realize you could put them together. And it gave me uh, a, a model which was in four parts. And I began to think of it uh, as an island, as a, a way of looking at this, uh, an island in four parts. Uh, I also like maps. So for me, if I could create a map of this island, then I could help myself and then perhaps help others to understand what was going on in change processes. So the island is, has a north-south dimension and it has an east-west dimension. Uh, in the north, uh, it's successful. It's profitable. It, it's, I call it wealthy, but wealthy in the broadest sense. It's wealthy in many, many ways. Wealthy, healthy. People are happy there. Uh, in the south, there's the exact opposite. There's paucity, there's failure, there's breakdown, there's disintegration. And then on the other dimension, the east and the west, on the eastern side, there is the unknown. On the western side, there is the known. Uh, things uh, work in a way that we know how they'll happen. There's patterns that we recognize. There's a level of comfort in the, on the western side. On the eastern side, it's the opposite. It's the unknown, it's uncomfortable, it's unsure, it's unpredictable. So when we start to combine these, we then pull out four different states on this island. So these states are a way to help us navigate uh, the change process or discover where we are as an organisation right now? Precisely. We can use the states to map what's happening in our system. And if we can understand what's happening in our system, we can engage with our system more effectively to start the change process. So if we know where we're starting, and if we can predict what might happen next, then we can equip ourselves with the right tools and techniques, the right modes of communication, uh, the right actions to take at the, the right moment. Now, it's not a precise science. It's about observation and noticing and reflecting. So it takes a lot of leadership to be able to figure out where you are in this, uh, this island, this state, the, which state we're in, and to know then what to do at each stage to help things moving along. 
It sounds like an organisation then is always in a state of change. So instead of thinking it, as you said before, in a linear way where uh, we've been, as we have been for a long time, and therefore we recognise for some reason that we need to do some change process, and then we go along a linear pattern. But in fact, by that stage, perhaps we don't know where we are on this change map. And it could, in fact, be a bit late to be starting that particular change method. Or So it sounds like it's a constant monitoring of change. I agree. I think the change is constant. I think it's about tuning in to what's happening around you, being aware of some of the signals in the environment. And when I say environment, I mean the, not just the organizational environment, but the broader uh, competitive environment or the broader societal environment as well. What's happening in these, uh, in these other states? We're all, the, all of these states are linked. So if we think of it as an island, we're just, if we have our, our organization, could be one island linked to many uh, in a world of islands. So something happens on one of the islands next door, it affects us. So th this is where the non-linearity kicks in because we cannot predict what's going to happen. Uh, a competitor, if we're in a competitive environment, a competitor might launch a new product. Ask Nokia about this. Mm. When the Apple iPhone was launched, um, were Nokia ready for it? Nokia had been playing with ideas around smartphones, but it didn't work for them. Uh, if we talk about you know, that telecoms environment, were BlackBerry ready for it as well? You know, 10 years ago, I was using a BlackBerry. Now I'm like most people, I use a smartphone, I use a, an Apple. Uh, so things have changed in the environment, were they ready for it? Going back to this idea of the island, how can we use it for mapping? So we've got the north, south, and the east, and the west. What we can start to look at is how these start to interact. So if we take the northern state, so north is about success, it's about the wealth. And we take the western state, which is about known and predictable, we can combine those two things and we can start to say, if we bring those two things together, what kind of characteristics do we start to experience? And when I do this with groups, the same words come out over and over again. We get, um, it's comfortable, uh, it's successful, don't rock the boat, uh, keep doing what we're doing because we're really good at it, uh, it's self-congratulatory. And then someone will pipe up, I'm bored. Is it, you know, why? Because it's all the same, it's the same thing, we're not doing anything different. Um, so then some, the, that will start a conversation about, well, what does, in, what does change look like in this environment? And often changes can happen in this environment as long as it fits with what we know. So there is incremental change. It's not transformational change, but there's incremental change adding to what we already feel comfortable with. And it can lead to a degree, if we, if we become out of tune with our environment, it can lead to a degree of being complacent as well. If we get stuck there, then we can lose out. And I mentioned before this was an island, so I play with this idea. Um, in the north, be, the, be dividing the two states in the north, there is a very high range of mountains, very steep escarpment, which means that you can't go easily from the northwest to the northeast. You can't climb it. And the winds of change blow around the island, and the winds of change blow over the mountains. So they leave this state in the northwest in a very sheltered spot. So if we stay sheltered in that area, 
we don't feel the competitive winds. We don't feel the societal change blowing around us. So we can be out of step and we can be in, in fact deluding ourselves that we are still competitive, we're still successful and that everything's okay. So if we're in this state and perhaps we're starting to hear some signals, what would people start to do to, to map? How do you start the mapping process to find out exactly where you are in this change uh, system, if you like? Um, and it sounds almost a contradiction that if you're in the comfortable state, it's going to be quite hard to recognise that you may need to be uh, the, your own catalyst of, of change and yet you're probably feeling too comfortable to do so. I think it's a really great observations in that if we're comfortable, how can we shake ourselves out of that comfort? And how as a leader do we sometimes have to step away and say to the, the people we're with, let's do something different? Because how are they going to look at us? Going, are you mad? We've got this made. We finally worked it out and things are working well and you want us to change? Why would we want to change? So how do we tackle that? Going back to your question, Jan, which is, how do we get people to see that the world is changing? And there are a number of different ways we can do this. We can invite in outsiders. So we can bring in, and those outsiders are good, credible people that are going to be seen as having a message that people can listen to uh, and that people want to hear. So invite outsiders in to come and talk to people. The opposite is to take people to the outside as well is to start to go outside of the organization and go and visit places, go and get in touch with customers, go and get in touch with other organizations who are doing extraordinary things or who are doing interesting things or who are breaking the mold and start a conversation in your organization about what you're seeing and invite people to bring other information in. One thing I've noticed about this and, and I've talked to people as we've been working with this is the voice of dissent is often sidelined. It's often marginalized because these are people who are seen as rocking the boat by the mass of, of people. And the voices of dissent can be drowned out. But what you want to be able to do is give them a platform. Those people who may be seen as dissenters or rebels, listen to them. What's the message that they're trying to bring? Because it may be that within their message is a really important seed for your change in future. How do uh, leaders then create a culture where the dissenters can be found or brought to the surface? You mentioned, you know, creating some sources of feedback. How could you do that in a regular way that... Um, enables you to hear from all, all sorts of levels through the organisation because you may not necessarily know who might be hearing what and what's valuable. It wouldn't necessarily be a hierarchical thing. It could come from anyone in the organisation. I agree. I think it, it can exist in any place in an organisation. So as a leader, what can you be doing is um, building an environment of trust, supporting those with a different voice, uh, actually encouraging the conversations, maybe repeating it and adding your own view to it. So there's a lot of modeling that goes on of making it okay to have these alternative views and actually valuing the alternative views and uh, adding to them, building the stories of different ways of doing things and keep bringing the outsiders in to talk about it and keep going out to find out what's happening elsewhere. So build an environment of curiosity uh, of open thinking, of an invitation to challenge. 
I think is a nice way to do it. So if an organisation is in a comfortable space and they are perhaps even doing some incremental change, is it safe to say they could just keep on going with incremental change or will there be uh, some tipping point where they recognise that they too can't avoid the transformational change? They really will have to make a greater shift. What what do you think would tip them towards transformational change? I think it's a really good point about how do we maintain momentum as an organisation, but change as an organisation without losing our identity. I think of the car industry as an example of this. Um, the car industry is facing some big challenges at the moment. How are we going to, if I'm a, a car executive, I'm asking the questions, how am I going to maintain my business at the moment, but shift it into a new world, a new world of self-driving cars. I might be asking myself, how do I keep my successful business going that has been developed over many years through incremental changes, making many small incremental changes to produce a great, safe, economical vehicle that we have now? How am I going to shift that into a new world where there is no driver in them or where the, the motive power comes from electricity, not from petrol or diesel or LPG. So there's a shift going on there. How are we going to stay successful? I think that's a, a difficult balancing act, which is to migrate. It's how do we manage the migration from what we're good at now to what we want to become good at in future? So I think incremental change has a very important role to play um, because that enables you to keep your core working but sometimes you're going to have to let go of those things. And I don't think incremental change on its own is enough. I think there has to be transformational thinking and transformational change working with it. So how do you keep those two things going at the moment, in one moment? Some organisations have successfully split off and held in parallel a different type of organization. So they maintain their core, but they put different thinking into a different place. And sometimes they even physically locate it in a different place so that it can't be influenced by the culture and the processes of the prevailing organization. That's one way of dealing with this. But transformational change, I think, ultimately has to go through a whole organization or it could be destined to fail. Before I ask you my next question, Neil, let's pause for a quick break. To those chosen to come here, and to the organisations they represent, congratulations and welcome. You're making a clear announcement that you want to do more, achieve more and be more. While you're with us, you'll be among the best, learning from the best. You'll leave changed, and then be called upon to lead change. So to you we say, welcome to Melbourne Business School. Welcome to the world class. So we've looked at our island, we've looked at the comfortable place where we've got some incremental change happening and we, we see on the horizon that we too must consider transform cha transformational change. What's next? What's next? the next space we move to on our island? I think this is a really interesting moment in organisational life because it's a place that people don't want to go to. And I don't know whether that's held unconsciously in an organization or whether people are conscious of it, but it means moving into a place where we are potentially less successful, uh, where we have to give up what we've been good at, and that's uncomfortable. So people don't want to go there. So the question of why does resistance occur 
And maybe we're starting to touch into this area now. So where we're moving to in this map, in this island, is the lower left-hand corner, which is the south southwest corner. I, I refer to this area as doubt. Uh, it's, there's a lot of doubt in this place. Uh, so one of the early reactions can be as we start to move into this, and it's not a choice. Often we're forced into it because if we're not adapting, the organization's still putting a lot of effort in, but not getting the returns it used to get because people aren't buying our product, people aren't using our service, people aren't coming to us anymore. So what do we do? We do what we've always been good at, but we just try harder. So we work longer hours, we try harder, we put more effort in, say, come on, we'll just get back to normal. The comfortable state was the normal state. So we try and loop round. We try and, try and create a loop which takes us back into the place where we were, where we were good at, what we were comfortable in. And we can keep doing this, but it doesn't work. And we start to get splits occurring. And I, I noticed something interesting in, in the media only last week, which was a retailer, a famous retailer, rallying against an, an online retailer entering into the Australian market, claiming that this retailer didn't behave in the right kind of way, didn't pay its taxes, uh, was not working in a way that was you know, good for society. This for me is an example of the doubt and often the, the denigration that goes on in this place, which is those with a vested interest in maintaining the past, the success of the past, reject any future that's being offered to them or any future that others are suggesting to them. And I, I describe it as a split between the old guard and the new order. And this is where we can get fighting happening in organizations. And sadly, it happens on a much broader level in societies where people with a new way of wanting to do things end up in, in a civil war with those who want to protect what has always been or that they have a vested interest in. Same thing can happen in organizations uh, in that those suggesting a new way of doing things get ridiculed or they get marginalized, they get denigrated, uh, they get the mud slung at them to say what, you, what you're suggesting is foolish, it's, it's unreasonable, you're going to lead us to disaster if we go that way. But the alternatives are no better because we can't go back to what we're always doing because it, we're not adapting. Yes, I uh, heard over the weekend someone requoting Paul Keating uh, regarding multiculturalism and, you know, how some people would see us returning back to, you know, a society where we've got perhaps a less multicultural face. And he said, it's too late for that. We've, we've, the gate's opened. We're already this society. We can't return to some other. So it's interesting to hear you say that when an organisation is in this crux, some may not even recognise that the move is already taking place. The change is already well underway. We can't return to the old. So what advice would you give leaders in this quadrant of the island? How do you manage these different groups of people, the ones who are, are with you wanting to go forward, but those who are now really digging into the trenches and it's full-on resistance. Mm, it's, it's a difficult position to be in. It's a difficult state to be in. The mood can be somber. It can be angry. There can be frustration. And I think the role of the leader here is to do a lot of listening, but also to be very clear about the future and what it holds. Now, you may not be absolutely clear about it. How can you be? It's unknown. It's unpredictable but it's to talk about with a reasonable optimism, not gilding it, 
but a reasonable optimism about the future and the need for change. Going back and restating the need for change. In the past, this has been called the burning platform. And it's to help those who are entrenched in the past, who are wedded to the past, to see the value in what they've done, but not to throw it away. It's not to, do, to deny the success that they've had, because often individual identities are wrapped up in that. But it's helping people to celebrate what was there, but also to recognize the future needs something different. And that requires new learning as well. So what can hold people back at this particular point of the island or this particular point of the change is the fear of failure. So one of the key leadership messages or one of the key leadership techniques is to make it okay to have a go. Make it okay to try and to fail and to try and to succeed and celebrate the outcomes equally. I mean, we can learn great things by, by failing. Edison, how many times did Edison make a light bulb before he got it to work? It could have been thousands. Uh, but it, it's making it okay to have a go, making it okay to speak out, making it okay to fail uh, so that people can start to learn to do something a new way. Which actually takes us in through that third part of the island. Now, somewhere, at some point, there is not enough energy left in the system to sustain the old ways of doing things. And this, when I was researching this, I... There were many people who wrote about this and you can't pin it down. You cannot say when it's going to happen, but at some point the old system collapses and you're left going, well, we can't do that anymore. So what are we going to do? And that's when the experimentation really starts. So you can have a vision for where you're moving to. And I don't mean a vision in absolute clarity, but a sense of direction, strong sense of direction. And the kind of outcomes you want to be achieving, the kind of culture you want to have, kind of behaviours you want to be operating by uh, individually or as a group. Um, but you have to start going out and exploring and move into this third state, which I, I describe it as the DIS state, the D-I-S state. So if you start thinking about words that begin with D-I-S, disintegration, so we're no longer integrated. All of our systems may have collapsed. All our systems aren't working. They disintegrated. Um, previous relationships that we've had either internally or externally, with customers, with suppliers, they may have gone. Uh, people may be disinterested because they may feel a bit lost. Uh, so they're disinterested in what's happening in the organization. They may be disheartened, disengaged, and so on. So play with the dis word and you'll find lots of words coming out in this space. It can be a, a time when people are so disheartened and disengaged, they also decide to leave. So we can see people opting to leave at this point. Because they go, I can see an island over there where it looks much more interesting for me, so I'm going to disembark and I go elsewhere. So we get a lot of change going on in this third state where we don't know exactly what we're moving on to, but this can be change at a personal level because there's a lot of learning going on. We've let go of the old ways, but we don't quite know what to do yet. So what's the role of the leader in this state? Uh, is to really encourage learning, uh, is to make it a, a, a game okay, as I said in that earlier state, to have a go, but to really review the learning, value the learning, see what's working, see what's starting to have a positive impact, see what's attracting attention and amplify it, start to build it and boost it. And if things are happening which are having a negative effect, 
is to dampen those down because you don't want those in the system is to take energy away from them, take resource away from them, and put the resource towards what's starting to have a positive impact, the new things that are starting to happen. And that could be new relationships, it could be new products, it could be new services, it could be new events. But something's starting to happen that's getting people interested. Which sounds like then, uh, as we're in this third part of the island, then there's a, a trigger for the fourth part of the island on the map. What does that look like and how, do, how does the organisation move from this third state to the fourth state? Mm. It's, um, it's not obvious how, that's, how that move happens. Uh, I think of the island as having a thick forest between the third state and the fourth state. And the forest is so thick we can't see through it. So the vision isn't clear. It's not obvious what's there. Remember, we're in the unknown. Mm. We're now on the unknown side of the island. In the third state, which is that lower right-hand corner of the island, things aren't working and we're unknown. So we're lost, we're fumbling around, we're trying to figure things out, which is why the learning process is so important. And you shouldn't rush through this as well. You should capitalise on the learning and see what starts emerging. The thick forest is there not only because you can't see through to the other side, but you have to make your way through it. And it's not something you can do as a collective. Often it isn't, this is the individual journey, that we have to figure our, our own way through this. This is our own individual learning journey. And maybe we might do that in small groups. And, but eventually when we get to the other side, what we find is um, we're still in an unknown state, but things are successful. Things are starting to work. So we try something and it didn't work. Oh, we're not disheartened by it. We're actually given a boost. We thought, oh, well, that was interesting. We learned something from it. We'll try it again. We'll try something. And eventually we start to find things that work. So we start doing those more and more. And that's where the new, this is the transformative. The, the, the new things are happening here. Things that we'd never done before. So in our old way of being, uh, as an organization perhaps, we're now doing things that we never did before, that we hadn't even dreamed of before because we hadn't been able to, because of the constraints we had on our thinking, because of our, the way we were comfortably set in our ways in, in, in some way of looking at it. So in this final state, I, I think of it as the end state, the E-N state. Uh, so people can be enchanted, can be entertaining. So add more E-N words that, about how people can feel in this state. What advice would you have for a leader as they're moving through each of these states because it sounds like they need to do something of their own transformation as they go through the states in order to hold that particular state, contain what's happening in it, um, to be themselves resilient to the fire they might be under in the southern, southern areas particularly. No, I think you make a really good point, Jan, that some people will naturally like different states. Some, some of these states will naturally suit some types of personalities or some types of characters, some leadership styles. So if you're a leader who does like the steady state, who likes to manage regularity and certainty, you're going to thrive in a comfortable, steady environment. But you're also, I think, going to need to develop yourself, as you were suggesting, uh, so that you can recognize some of the indicators, some of the signals in the environment that things might need to be different. So it is a personal journey. I think the leadership journey is a personal one, which is recognizing 
your own strengths as a leader, but your own limitations at any particular time. So as you move, move through the states, it could be that when you're in the, the, the lower part, you say, where? well, you do need to be resilient because people are going to pick on you. It could be that in that lower left-hand corner, the state of doubt, that's when people are going to turn to you and say, you got us into this, now you get us out of it. How could you lead us into here? It's all your fault. There's a lot of blaming goes on in that lower left-hand corner. So you do have to be resilient. You, you do have to you know, be able to take a bit of battering at times uh, and not take it personally. Uh, so it's recognizing your own state, looking after yourself as well. And that can be physically and emotionally so that you can guide others. Uh, it's about having a, a positive sense of self and a positive outlook as well. So not being foolishly optimistic, but being realistically optimistic about what's possible. But it's also about keeping yourself informed as well. So knowing what's happening in your broader environment. And that might be in your sector. If you're working in the energy sector, what else is happening in the energy sector? What are the regulators talking about? Uh, what are consumers interested in? At the moment in the energy sector, the energy transition is being spoken about. What's, what could technology bring to that transition? And how might you keep yourself aware of it. So I think there's this kind of cognitive side to keeping your knowledge um, very current, but then there's another side, which is the emotional side of building yourself as a leader. So reflective practice is important and having a coach or having a mentor, someone you can turn to and talk to about your own journey. Neil, thanks very much for your insights into the change process today. If you'd like to hear more on change, be sure to listen to some of our other podcasts in our change series or visit our website at mbs.edu.